Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. So I just had a conversation with Dr. Nicolene Dupreez and Peter Phillips, who are based in Bali in Indonesia. We were discussing the Open Flow Learning Centre, which they opened there about three months ago and the whole concept behind the Open Flow Learning Centre that it has a symbiotic relationship with the wider community and they're trying to create education that goes beyond the 21st century and breaks free from the traditional educational sort of system and thinking. Um, for example, children can take breaks whenever they want and go and have food, snacks, whatever they want. Um, and there is no, not so much regimentation to their lives. Uh, which allows them to guide their learning more and take more of an active participation in, in what they are actually doing each day. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Here we are. This is finally we're getting a chance to speak to each other after, mm. yeah, I guess, several months of uh, us having an initial conversation, you both shooting a podcast without me and just going for it and freestyling for over an hour which was really cool to listen to um but really nice that we can now all sit together in our different places around the world and actually talk and try and have a conversation about the work that you were doing in indonesia in bali uh with education and so the first i guess opening question i'd love to hear more about is what the open flow learning center is and what it's all about yeah, the Open Flow Learning Center was really born upon um, an alignment coming together of individuals, which is a really cool thing when it doesn't come from one particular person or one particular movement. It comes from a group of people coming together under one umbrella and saying, you know what, what this time is in the middle of coronavirus, there's an opportunity to, to implement um, local place based change. So, Open Flow Learning Center is very much about a symbiotic relationship with the community we found ourselves here in in Bali, Indonesia. Um, our learning principles, they're based upon agile learning, design thinking and well-being. Um, and we are very much a, a place-based uh, institution where we look at what the local community has to bring, the local wisdom, local culture has to bring to teach us um, and we are finding every single day, every single day, many, many amazing things from the local community. And you just have to open up space. You just have to ask a question and then you start to receive such, such wisdom um, such, from such a beautiful place. And so what was it that, and, and sorry, Nicolina, you can also answer this as part of your, your perspective on what the Open Flow Learning Centre is, but how did you find yourself getting to this place where you could set up such a, a school of or a way of thought around educating and this specific uh, center that you set up i think the opportunity found us so i i remember constantly drawing and talking about how can you reimagine education and always mm. being criticized as that's way too out there or way too creative just unreachable, um, but just constantly pondering, thinking, imagining, designing, dreaming, until COVID arrived, which was actually just this amazing mm. blessing in disguise. 
Because if you think about it, COVID didn't just arrive. It also brought this gift, this global gift, to get everybody together at the same time to reimagine education. Nobody mm. has a chance to argue or to think about it. It happened. Mm. So those who were thinking, pondering, dreaming, now all of a sudden have this lab, this global lab to say, hey, it's fair game. We can actually try and test and implement all of these far out ideas because now all of a sudden they need it. Because everything that was just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that's kind of how the opportunity found us in our dreaming and thinking. And mm. next thing you know, it's three months down the line and we have an amazing school. Today we had an interesting ceremony, Pete, you can speak more to that, um, where we did like an inauguration of our building. We had our Balinese ceremony and we've arrived. <laughs> We're here. So it's really interesting. Yeah, it's actually quite a symbolic day for us, James, considering the past three months has been 25 hours a day uh, working around the clock and beyond to make things happen during this time. And we've really been guided and supported so much by the families that are aligned with the vision we have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was no advertising, there was no selling point. There were simple conversations where we connected with people who were searching for something for their children mm -hmm. and ultimately searching something for themselves as parents. And that's what um, education comes down to for parents, I believe in, is if their children are happy being surrounded by educators that live and breathe what they do and deeply connect with them, then that's what I believe they've found in mm -hmm. us. And I use the term us because there is a collective. It's just not myself and Nicolene. There is a collective of uh, seven other Indonesian world-class educators which have come on board with us and, you know, their track record kind of speaks for themselves. But the model of Open Flow Learning Centre is not an exponential model where we have hundreds of children. Uh, like what Nicolene said earlier, it's a lab school, if you like, and that's not a sterile term. It's a very active, uh, fluid term that we use to make sure that we connect deeply with children. And if we connect deeply with children, then we know it unlocks all the inhibitions they have, all of the social pressures, all of the competitive nature of, of, uh, of typical society, which we know full well at our age. So if we allow them to be and, and connect with them on just purely on a human level, then the learning comes as a natural consequence. Mm -hmm. I want to just add something about the lab school. I think the, yeah. the craziest, coolest thing about that is that all of a sudden you can flip the narrative. So we're not testing on kids. Kids are testing alongside us. So now you better we explain have, that one for me. <laughs> super awesome. So now you have kids as scientists working in their own world of education. They are not lab rats that some curriculum or some educator theory is being tested on to see whether they end up in a result percentage um, assessment they become co-workers within this construction of education. And I want to just quickly mention something. If you think yes, of yes. SDG4, right, what is mm -hmm. the main goal of SDG4? They're asking, can we ensure inclusive, equitable, quality education? Okay. And what would be the result of this equitable, quality education? 
we want to promote lifelong learning. So mm -hmm. how do you do that? That becomes the essential question. How do you ensure that you set up a system, in our case a lab school, alongside the users, because the kids are the users, and how do you then embed lifelong learning? Keep them curious. Keep them curious, right? That's one thing, and we're going to speak to that in, um, in a minute as one of our, um, our pillars. But when you create these learning opportunities that model what that looks like, feels like, kids can mm. go bed that. Mm. Become something that's part of their life. It's not a segregated thing. You don't go to school and then you live your life on the weekend. Um, that's a very mm. interesting concept when you really Absolutely. include children in their experience and that part, like, side, alongside their experiences. They're in it. They create. They bring. They speak. So they guide potentially the the learnings or the curriculum, so to speak, in like traditional terms. And how then would you set up some sort of framework around what you know what happens? Let's take it. We could take it even down to the example of a day or a week or a month or whatever you think best explains how a child comes into school or not comes in, but engages in in school um, and and learns on a daily basis. So I'm gonna. In a few minutes, hand over to Pete, but I want to mention this before I do. Mm. If you think of education, and if you think of a Venn diagram, I'm going to show it to you like this with my finger. You have learning experiences, and normally you have alongside that, like segregated, um, a curriculum, a continuum, learning program, whatever that is termed, whatever terminology the world uses. But we're not looking for experiences and then a curriculum. We're looking for an overlap. Once it overlaps, it creates a magic middle. The mm. more you push that overlap, it becomes one. The mm. so when you create within the magic middle until it becomes one, you're actually delivering quality education that's mm. equitable and that then inevitably when it overlaps as one, becomes lifelong learning. So we're not saying um, don't use a curriculum. We're not saying don't teach math. No, 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 no. And we're also not saying don't know where the kids are developmentally. We believe both quantitative and qualitative is important. Um, so we do believe that a curriculum or a continuum, some sort of benchmark to know what it is, is important. But what is the quality of the experience that walks in that overlap? That's the, that's the key thing. Peter, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Um, like yeah. the life of an open flow child. Well, <laughs> the day of an open flow child ties in directly with the day in the life of an open flow educator because we are the ones facilitating, we are the one guiding, we are the one observing the patterns of the children. So, you know, a big, uh, a big factor in SDG4 is teacher training and well-trained educators. So we can look at this from a cognitive level and say, okay, pedagogically, we need to understand uh, teaching in, in terms of theory and practice and classroom management. But what Nicolina is kind of leading towards is creating or curating, even co-curating these experiences for the children that come uh, to open flow. And we have four 
fundamental holistic pillars that we hold key to everyday experiences for our children. And they rest in the individuality of, of each of these children, as well as the educators. So we acknowledge that the children innately have inquisitive minds, just as we do, that each and every experience can be somewhat new to them in some way. Mm -hmm. So inquisitive minds, which leads to curiosity in motion. So curios curiosity is not a stagnant thing. We don't sit there, philosophize, and wonder about the inner workings of the world. It's fantastic to do that. But we also put these wonderings into action, and we test these philosophies out, and we experience them not only in our thinking, but also in our feeling that is moving, shifting, creating, making from concept um, to idea to actually having the physical form in front of us. And that leads to us looking at the children as energetic spirits. So we acknowledge that each and every child comes with their challenges, with their difficulties, with their strivings, just as we do as adults in, in our workplaces or in our home lives. So we acknowledge this in the children too, which leads to the basis of our four pillars really, and that is simplicity in being you. And that's really as simple as we can get it when we come to connecting with other human beings, particularly as educators, if we have a fundamental understanding of the children in front of us and how they operate, how they work, the rhythms of the day, the rhythms of the week, the rhythms of the month, mm -hmm. then we have, we have such an incredible uh, view into how we can engage these children or even let go of our own thinking and follow, as you said before, James, you know, how, how the children kind of lead us and guide us towards what it is that they're, they're so inquisitive about. Mm, mm. So a child wakes up, do they wake up at school? Close to school? <laughs> Some do. They, they might come into school and what would be a first I mean, I guess it's all about community. So is there's all of you there gather at, at the start of the day and how does how would a day lead from there? How would it practically they guide that day? Sure. So one of the things that we base our learning program on is the agile learning. And mm -hmm. we base our week, we set our week in an agile schedule uh, similar to a Kanban. So there are certain parts within the week that is locked in. For example, James, you have your academic sessions in terms of math or science or language in certain parts of the week set. The mm -hmm. other parts are moving open parts. Um, and then in those other parts, the children schedule in their experiences. We had a beautiful opportunity, actually two opportunities come up this week. One with um, a traveling photographer and another one with somebody who does sewing. So we have mm -hmm. all of a sudden within this week, an opportunity for the kids, besides the other things that are happening with the educators, um, two extra things that are happening that normally mm -hmm. would not have been there. But you mm -hmm. schedule that in if you are interested in that. Um, mm -hmm. So you still go to your normal class, you still have quality experiences within your mathematics or within your language um, based on the continuum. So we know where you are and we know um, what it is that you should be doing, but you mm -hmm. have different experience. One of the epic things that are happening, we don't have snack time. So our day is just broken into three big chunks. 
Um, yeah. And kids take snack when they want, if they want. And mm. they are loving this autonomy. This is such a small thing. You know, when you think of student-directed learning, or if you talk about autonomy, everybody has to use the toilet or something. <laughs> People get so anxious. They're like, oh, yeah. so all of a sudden, children can just do what they want. Well, no, because we know that results into chaos and too much choice mm. can be confusion. But mm. if you chunk this, and if you create the mental models a little bit, step by step, children can, can adjust. They can adapt way faster than adults. Um, but the kids are absolutely loving it. They are loving it. And, and all of a sudden, children say, I don't want snack time today. Mm. Mm, fine, I'm going to have snack time twice. Because we're not all universally hungry at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is a fascinating thing, right? But yet we're saying it's free education. Children should be free thinking. But I'm going to tell you when you have to eat. I'm going to tell you when you can go to the toilet. And I'm also mm -hmm. going to tell you what you're going to consume in education and how you're going to consume it. Mm -hmm. And that's super interesting if you do think about quality. Because quality does not sit within buildings. It does not sit within the curriculum. And it does not sit in resources. If you mm -hmm. design a model, um, and I found one of the questions like super interesting. So how would you take open flow, for example, to the world? Mm -hmm. Well, the simplicity of it. Right? Mm. The simplicity of understanding that you can sit in Africa, and I'm from mm -hmm. South Africa, so coming from a third world country, being in, in Indonesia really resonates with me. Mm. Um, but you can sit there under a baobab tree and still have a higher level or quality of education than mm. somebody from the UK. You can sit in an apartment, the most expensive apartment in the UK, going through. Mm. A Cambridge curriculum, for example, and it cannot be quality. Mm -hmm. And you, mm -hmm. I was sitting under a baobab tree, receiving mm -hmm. with limited resources a highly um, dense, beautiful, curious mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. that will actually yeah. change your learning architecture. Your internal anatomy towards learning will be mm -hmm. changed. Right. You'll be hungry, you'll be driven, you'll be learning yeah. a lot more. You won't be regurgitating and memorizing, you'll be I think about this, you think in terms of neurology, right? And connections in the brain and how neurons fire and wire together. So when, when do you resonate at your highest, highest speed with all your senses at the same time? Not just smell or just, again, segregated, right? Um, hearing or just sight or taste. It's when you're really pushed in your discomfort, fear zone. When a lion chases you. I'm not saying go to Africa and get, get a lion to chase you to learn. I'm saying that when you are in a situation where you're not bombarded with the best resources or the most complicated curriculum or even the most fascinating building, that does not necessarily get your senses to resonate at its highest peak. If you go through a learning experience that pushes you to really resonate with what is in front of you, you are firing every possible neuron to make a connection. And now, at a deeper level, we can start um, talking about what it is to change thinking and learning.
And that's the science of teaching and learning, right? And mm. now we're talking exponential change in the world. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's interesting. Information, and, knowledge, gap between. And so you, you touched on it there but when you mentioned the Africa baobab tree. But it's very much, and you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, it's rooted in place-based learning. So it would be adaptable depending on where you were. And I'm guessing that's because, again, you mentioned that there's some community involvement there. Do you, do you maybe want to go in more into how place-based learning could be different in different areas and also how the community engages in the learning process? I think that'd be really interesting to hear more about. Well, I can speak a little bit about um, the place-based model that we've created mm. here. And if I can paint a bit of a picture for you, you come off this super noisy, loud main road, which you can barely hear yourself thinking. And you mm. turn off this small road, which is big enough for two cars to just pass each other. And mm. you get 50 meters down the little road and all of a sudden it's just like silent and you step back in time. And even how you walk, the people that you see just you are forced to slow down. You have no option. Mm -hmm. Your whole body just reacts to it. And arriving down at the land, you're just absolutely blown away by the beauty of it, just the sheer beauty. Looking over to the rice fields, there's a small meandering river down below and uh, two blocks of land sit kind of a little bit higher. One block of land has 20 to 30-year-old teak trees um, that before we came along had not been cleared for 25 years. And after clearing it and engaging with local landowners, um, if I can step back a little bit and say we've created a, a not-for-profit here in Indonesia, um, which uh, is all Indonesian-owned, and the land that we have contracted for the learning centre um, is just that, it's contracted land, and we will not buy the land because it deserves to stay um, with the landowners. In fact, we're, we have their children coming along and then one of the daughters is working with us at the moment. Um, and rule number one in the construction phase was everybody that works here as much as possible lives here. So who can we engage in the community? And that very much comes from the, the connection with the local landowners, Pat Nyoman, his name is. And he was the one that went, went about and doing his thing because he's grown up here with all of the men and all of the women here. So the mm -hmm. invitations come exactly from the bottom up, not from the top down, not from a bunch of people coming in saying, I want to contract this land, I want to have a whole bunch of contractors coming in, and in three months we're going to have a learning centre, and there we go. So our process was, you know, it could have been a lot faster than three months, mm. but our process was so so cared for and so patiently um, surrendered to by the expertise, mm. by the creativity, by the local wisdom of the people here, that now if we need something such as a beehive, the local wisdom is there to create beehives for us that tie in with the moon phases and then we go to this whole different experiential learning from cultural wisdom. Um, and if we talk about you know education and we can mm. say yeah educators are key but also community is key because local wisdom uh, and culture contributing to sustainable sustainable development this is where we look this mm. is where we find it we don't mm. find it from a bunch of people talking and talking and talking and talking we we find it from asking questions 
And because we, we create such a, a, an inviting environment where we have no fences, where we build to the edges permaculture design principles, and we invite the community in where the grandparents can walk through freely, where the, mm. where the, where the women who are carrying fruit around come through the school and we buy fruit for the children. And we create this village vibe, which mm. is not, uh, it's not a facade. It's a living, breathing organism which has its own life. It's a bit and more in touch with how us humans should be should be living. You've really painted a, an enormous picture in my head. <laughs> Just mm. it really, it, it's I guess how we've always lived before the last several hundred years when we were in tribes and very much integrated with families and generations all together, and there was no compartmentalization to the world, but more of a holistic yes. living experience. Yeah, and I truly believe that you know we are definitely blessed being here on the the island of gods and the creative. Uh, artisans here and the mm. culture is such a, a beautifully vibrant culture but I do believe um, the principles if you take it back right down to the first principles and that is spending time with people if you spend time with people to get to know their story to get to know what uh, their experiences have been in the past to get to know how they can contribute and actually say you know what I don't actually know what to do next what do you think mm. And this is what really pushes and drives the alignment of the school. Um, and really, it's bringing it back to this, um, you know, SDG 4.7, which is sustainable development and global citizenship. The children, the international children that come along are just constantly uh, within, within this structure. And mm -hmm. there is no difference between Indonesian and Turkish and Chinese and Japanese. Um, there are people just kind of floating in and out of each other like bees in a hive. Mm. Uh, it's mm. really, really a wonderful thing to be a part of. How, how many pupils are there at the school? At the moment we have 20 enrolled children and we also have, Nicolene, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, five or six, uh, anywhere from five to six uh, Indonesian Balinese children which live along the street. And they mm. come with their bags packed every day and sometimes their parents drop them off and sometimes they just walk up and often the first one's there and often the last one's to leave as well. What's the age ranges? Uh, our youngest is three and a half uh, mm. and we go up to middle school, I believe, 12 years old. Right. So we have this wonderful opportunity for, you know, the... the um, the younger ones to be to be guided by the older ones for the older ones to maintain that sense of childhood and for the educators to really push themselves um, to see what it is to be a global citizen do you think then to keep this community feel there's a kind of capacity to the school to maintain the structure and integrity of everyone moving as a unit mm. yeah i really do believe that that is that is key um, to the aligned vision of what it is that we've um, we've arrived to, and I bring it down to a sense of identity. Um, mm. And when we when we kind of selfishly push too hard, uh, dependent on what we believe is right, or how education should be, or how teacher education should be, or how communities should be formed, you know, if if one or a group of people push so hard, there are so many people that suffer. So how do we kind of extinguish ourselves and be of service to the collective and find a middle ground because there's always a middle ground to be found. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that is the basis of what it is we're doing. And I do believe that is place-based anywhere because anywhere there are human beings and I understand there are multiple uh, difficulties uh, independent on location. But these fundamental principles of, of seeing eye to eye, sitting on the ground with people um, and getting to listen, truly listen to what it is they believe they want for their community, for their children. Because ultimately we are an internationally based school which can drive change locally too. Mm. So our, even our financial model is to have the international funds coming in through tuition fees. But how do we then distribute that through the not-for-profit? How do we then create a sustainable model for um, local, local children to come along and experience this sense of education too? And for families to come? And for local educators, this is our next phase, is going into the local educator field and inviting uh, local teachers to come along and experience what it is, mm. you know, to look at the physical structures. We're often asked, where, that, where, that, where is the admin building? And I say, well, under those banana trees, there's some coconut trees down there, there's a building over there, we can walk over to the rice field or we can sit by the river, depending on the conversation. So breaking the, the stereotypes of um, yeah. even identity in terms of physical structures. Yeah, yeah. And, and then if you're wanting, I mean, how does this roll in with the community aspect more so into the future as well? Like you've mentioned that you want to bring in more local educators, but is there a role going forward for parents or for just yeah, tradesmen and tradespeople in the region, I mean, or in the area? How do you how do you see it tapping into the community more? Yeah, I see it really. Um, not wanting to project too much, but I really do feel because this time we are so uh, relatively subdued. But once we once this time passes, how it opens up to bigger gatherings, how it opens mm. up to um, our parents coming together and the networks that they have to contribute to to the initial um, the vision that we that we shared with them, and how we have this cross-pollination between international and local um, on a more personalised level. And when we look at inviting um, local educators and, and, and the connections we can create there with local schools, it also goes into tertiary education, inviting um, second or third year education students to come along. Mm and experience, mm. because like what Nicolene was saying before, experience is often our greatest teacher mm -hmm. to come along. And, and are you really ready to be an educator? Because we understand that, um, you know, we have so much focus on the learning outcomes and, and, and the content, but we need to look at teachers and we need to mm. push our teachers to teach in a different way, to see in a different way, to observe in a different way. And I become super curious. Mm. Yeah. So after doing a lot of online teaching during COVID, something that really strikes me and um, it's happening over and over through conversations. Um, last weekend, weekend I was very fortunate to be involved in an online teacher training. And all of these people that I come in contact with have the what, right? Your country has a curriculum. Indonesia mm. has a curriculum. Finland has a curriculum. Everybody has the what. The internet is wide open. What is the how? Mm. Everybody comes and asks how. 
and then you think it's the what and you want to consume more oh i need i need another curriculum i need another program i need another textbook i need another i don't know let's just appoint more teachers it more and more but the mm -hmm. question is how and that's the same thing with kids right so now you've given them everything that they need to study and mm -hmm. they pass nine A's and three B's and I don't know what, five mm. certificates or something. And then what? What do you mm. go and do? Mm. That's the question. So when you also bring that into your learning program, where you really focus on what do you do with it. So when you have, again, the quantitative and the qualitative overlapping, mm -hmm. and you have your experience in the classroom, you're going through all of your um, academic stuff. How do you how do you implement that? How do you go if you're if you're doing procedural writing, for example, yep. in language? What do you do with it then? That's when it goes into application. When I do this, you say, oh, oh, oh I have many ideas because now James is going to say, oh, I can do a talk on how to put an SDG podcast together because mm. you have the procedure in mm. place. But you're also listening to my vocabulary, right, that I'm using. And now all of a sudden it makes sense. So what is, what is it any different to building an egg sandwich when you're five than to putting up an SDG podcast than putting in a multi-billion um, dollar proposal to build a building or mm. school or something? It's all processes. It's all processes. But, but then how does, that, how does that come against, I mean, you could say that learning systems in traditional education as well, if you are sitting in a chemistry class or whatever all day, learning about how the systems in a cell, for example, interact, I can take those learnings as, as well and apply that to building a multi-billion dollar construction. Where, where's, the, where's, the, where's the uniqueness? Is that because you, you would then apply it to something on your own terms there and then? So in education, you will most probably, in the traditional system, apply it under the belief system of the teacher or the educator providing the experience. Mm -hmm. It will be a single egocentric perspective belief system. Mm. When you take that and you mm -hmm. give those experience in, to, to be applied by the children, all of a sudden you have an exponential example of how mm. to apply the same procedure or method or curriculum standard or outcome, right? Mm, mm. So again, it's flipping it and saying, why are we holding on? Why? Why are we even having this, this discussion? How many kids have you interviewed for your podcast? Yet you're talking about education now. Mm, how, many, mm. how many of the actual users have you interviewed? So actually, no. you're not really talking about data. You're just hypothetically talking to us because you assume we know something about education. Yet, the consumer is not mm. asked about what they're consuming. You're only speaking to us. Mm. And but, we, but we ourselves have gone through education. Yes, and we have. As, as we are lifelong learners, then we are also users of, uh, of education. But I, I totally so, get your point. That is true. Mm. Why in this world is there an SDG 4 saying that there's a world crisis where we need to have quality, equitable education to make sure that people are lifelong learners? Mm. If the masses has gone through education. I don't know if you wanted to say something, but I wanted to ask a question kind of in relation to that leading into 
um, what it is that you specifically think is kind of, and you've been leading towards this throughout the conversation, is broken with the traditional, we can say, Western education system. Mm-hmm. And you've already given some answers throughout our conversation, but it is nice to have it presented in a succinct manner as well. So education until now, for the last 100 years, was an industrial system, mm. which means we actually built a concrete monument. It's not broken. It's actually perfect if you're mm. living in an industrial civilization. Mm. I'm saying we're trying to fix something that's not broken. That system is perfect, but it's, it's overdue. We don't need that system anymore. Mm. What if we change and realize that we need a new system? Because that one's not broken, it's just outdated. We mm. don't need to try and fix that, right? You're not going to fix your old computer if it's outdated. You're going to get a new one. Why are you not still using a Nokia 3310? Because it's obviously not going to, I don't know, have Skype on it or mm. Zoom. So if we can just move past that and realize mm. Trying to fix something that just doesn't need to be fixed. But if we can reimagine, reconstruct um, mm. a whole new system, um, in my perspective or in my view, um, mm. that's multifunctional, that is placid, mm-hmm. that is evolving, and that is mobile, which means one, mobile, it's a system that can be implemented here in India, in Africa, in the UK, mm-hmm. right? As a systemic um, mm. foundation. And mobile in terms of why do you need to be in a specific building under the name of a specific institution in a specific amount of time to reach something that will call you educated? Mm. What is that? It's like telling a tomato that it should grow faster or slower because the packet said it has to grow for 90 days. Mm-hmm. But you realize, oh gosh, this soil is actually good. Or, oh gosh, it died because the soil is just not working for this. Oh, mm. actually not a tomato. And they don't even grow, grow in this climate. So if we can reimagine a whole new universal system that can mm. be applied authentically in a place-based model, um, we're moving closer to something as educational scientists like if we become curious about this, mm-hmm. instead of like trying to fix the old thing, how can we like reinvent, rethink, test, mm. implement, observe, go through the whole design um, cycle, go through the whole um, reflection model and just say, wow, we're actually curious about education. I think that will be something whole different, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, my thinking takes me to if you look at education as a whole, and you're speaking about the structure as if it's a whole physical monument, um, it's become so incredibly, incredibly complex, like a like an uh, an architectural structure mm. that all of a sudden, in order to break the whole down to its parts become so incredibly incredibly complex. So you have to start from uh, such, a, such a complex space to arrive back to simplicity mm-hmm. 
can seem very difficult, but actually, if we just start from that root of saying, okay, 100 years ago, there were some beautiful um, philosophies and pedagogies coming along, Waldorf being one, looking at Montessori later on, Reggio, you know, these beautiful educational philosophies which still live and breathe to this day, and they are international, uh, internationally renowned um, schooling systems. So what I'm saying is there's, there's no way we want to get into a conversation and say, okay, this is definitely the way of doing things. This is this mm. is how we're going to gain global momentum. Or this is mm. what we're saying up against traditional education systems um, in mm -hmm. first world countries. It's simply mm. offering uh, a solution, we believe, to mm. a deep need uh, for human beings in the world, for children, mm. for, mm -hmm. for parents, for teachers. So if we if we rely upon governments to have this top-down approach to simplifying what has become so incredibly complex, then time is a factor. So mm. the only way of breaking free of that is to move away from, uh, from government organisations, if you like, and this is where the independence comes along because you are, not, you are governed, yes, in terms of curriculum perhaps, but in terms of practice and how you do things and how you implement change at a different level, at a different scale, um, at a different time frame, then this is something that we have um, on our side. And the fact is that we have started and there are many, many schools in the world that have started also. And I don't see it as a competitive thing. That would be, that would be totally against, uh, against the very, very principle of what it is we're trying to do in terms of uh, reaching SDG 4 in 2030 and even beyond you know, in 21st century education. It is in the collaborative yeah. approach of like-minded, likely, likely aligned um, and passionate people coming together and saying, okay, what can we learn? What can we share? Mm. Because sharing is, is the best possible way and not just sharing in terms of anecdotal stories. We're talking about data. We're talking about conversations with children. What are the patterns we see? We're talking about conversations with educators at a local scale as well as an international scale. Mm. And it really is just looking at, um, looking at internationally local people coming together and saying, you know what, there's, there's always something to improve. There's always ideals worth striving for. And I don't want to waste time on, on battling who's doing a better job than who. Yeah, I want to learn. I want to share. I want to listen. And I also want to speak. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was really quite beautiful. I think it's um, I think it's really cool the work that you that you're both trying and you both, the work that you both are doing. And I really like the way you're saying. And I feel like it draws a lot of parallels for with a lot of different things like agriculture, for example, making things local again and bring, trying to bring it back down to more of a, a smaller scale. But still, it could be a global movement that's happening in local places. And so, it makes me wonder what you two and either of you can answer this both of you to answering it would be quite nice are hoping for the future especially in regards to um the center you've opened and how you'd like to contribute to a global movement and how can you see the work that you're doing now benefiting others um you know if i was to message you tomorrow and say i want to open up an open flow learning center in copenhagen what would you say to me Well, we would say for sure <laughs> so the biggest thing is to actually show what we're doing um, 
again, I think there's so much information out there, but the application mm. of, of that information and knowledge is, is the key thing. So if you wanted to open up a, a local-based, place-based model, um, it's, it's similar to how you would construct a beehive or how you would mm. um, construct any organic um, model. Mm. And yeah, Peter, I don't know if you want to speak more, more to that. My mind goes to so many different places because actually we've been having this request um, from neighboring local communities mm-hmm. saying, hey, can you come and help us open up um, uh, a school in, in our community? One of the big things, and I want to really, really point this out because I kind of get misunderstood. The first thing, I won't take away your curriculum, mm. right? There's no way that we should be spending time and energy in fighting what exists, right? Like fighting the curriculum that, that, that exists. It's really crafting um, learning experiences around that. Um, For example, these four pillars. So if I had to say to you, James, before we can come to you, what do you you do in your daily life that actually shows curiosity in motion and your simplicity of being and inquisitive mind? If if you want to implement a system like this, it's all going to boil down to who are the people? Who are you going to co-create with? Because if you're not having like-minded common mental models in your system, like if you have a wasp trying to build in a beehive, it's not going to work. Because again, the initial question would be, what can you give me? Can you give me paper? Can you give me a curriculum? Can you give me a document? Can you give me something that I can hold in my hand? Can you give me, actually what you're asking me, James, is safety, right? Can you please tell me what to do? Well, why would I tell you? Because then I take away all four pillars, right? And it's so Mm. funny. Then my question becomes, why are you even asking me? How would you open up a center? Why won't you go and do it? Mm. That's why we have curriculum. That's why we have a traditional model. That's why we're chasing standards and assessments and percentages. Because all of a sudden, society is so scared that they might be left behind. Mm. Behind what? Mm. I think benchmarking even. Mm, but I'm curious. So I'm curious and I and I and I want to open one up and I'm gonna open one up, let's say. Maybe it's just the wording. But I would like some I would like to be able to pick your brains and understand more about how I could make my system better and what practices you've learned and what mistakes you've made. And the I was the thing I was mostly trying to get at is and I know that you've it's interesting to step into your perspective. You're not trying to see other systems as wrong or incorrect or failing and it's not a scarcity issue you're not trying to compete necessarily but of course inherently by the fact that you're creating this school you do believe that it has certain qualities that are better than other systems some systems in in from my perspective so how how would you like to see it scaling and how could you see it scaling i would say james take away your snack time 
I would say, James, can I give you an example of how we set up our week? I would say, hey, no James. More ten, no more tempe. No more tempe <laughs> time. <laughs> no, no, you have your tempe time at your time. When your body is saying you're ready, when your mind is saying you're ready. But lunch times, we do come together as a community and we have lunch together as a collective. But have you ever thought about how much time it takes to herd cats? So that's exactly what happens at snack time. You get into a learning experience. It takes at least half an hour for your brain to get into the aha state. Then your teacher says, stop, back up, and go eat. You're kind of like in your experience. Then you're off to the playground. Then you get into play. Then they say, stop, go back to the experience. No, not that one. We're switching it. You're not going to math. You're going to music now. And you're kind of like stuck in two spaces now. And then they herd you off to, to music. And then as you get into the instrument, something else happens. Oh, it's an assembly. Leave everything you've done today and now go sit in a group of people, for example. Mm. Um, so it's those little things. And how much time does it take to stop a learning experience, do something else, transition, transition in and out, and then carry on with the next thing. So that will be one of my practical things. Look at how you're using time. How would you reinvent what you are doing? Have you ever even thought why you do the things you're doing? So if you just like stop, okay, to any person out there, and you just look at your daily schedule, and you ask yourself, why am I doing this? And what can I possibly do different? Just test mm. it. Just at least mm. try. Otherwise, mm. we're in this herd mentality. Somebody out there created all of these systems. And we are blindly following it. Right? So I'm not saying change the curriculum. I'm only asking, how could you do that differently? How would you set up your week differently? Why would you? Take your morning session and divide it into two and say, this half, half is mathematics and this half is language. Have you ever thought about the integration? Mm. But then I also back up and I really ask a critical question. How much um, do we as, as educators truly, truly know what we are busy with? And James? Really know. Yeah. James, I would say to you, if you want to open an early flow learning center, mm. I would say that time is finite, that words are infinite, especially mm. so when you want to influence change in the world for mm. collective equality for the masses. And that's really the driving force. It's not about how much I can hold in my hands. It's not about how much we can hold in our pockets. It's not about how much uh, glory we seek. It's really about thinking about those children that you know, I've worked with in Australia. It's about imagining what it's like under the baobab tree where Nicolene is from and thinking about those children there. Mm -hmm. It's about going to all these places and thinking through the eyes of these people and imagining what that reality is like. So us in such a fortunate position have an opportunity to influence some change and we can use this, this force of um, you know, financial uh, freedom, if you like, 
from having beautiful, beautiful people, international people who are willing to serve for the greater collective as well uh, and drive, drive change from the ground up. And we create something and then we invite people to come. We invite people to see. We invite people to experience. Mm. And that they walk away with nothing except a change perspective, except a story to tell. And that story then flows on. And the work continues even though people leave. Because you know what, Nicolene and I will not be here forever. This will be mm. passed on to, to the local landowners and their children. Um, if, we, if we facilitate it in the right way uh, from the seed of what it is that's arrived to us, then mm. beautiful, we can walk away um, knowing and feeling that this is a living and breathing uh, network, if you like. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's self-sustaining it's yes. and lives on beyond you. I think, to be honest, that was a very, very nice uh, nice few words to kind of sum up everything that you're trying to do and all of the work that's going on over there in Indonesia. And it would be great to hear sort of in some final uh, final words just how then anyone out there listening can find out more about what, you, what you're up to uh, and can get potentially engaged virtually or physically uh, in the future. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, so interesting you asked that. Today we had somebody come out, we had a permaculture man come out and he brought um, another guy along from France and he's actually coming back tomorrow and he just wants mm. to be involved. He just wants to be in the garden. He just wants to be around. Again, he just wants to serve uh, and, and that is the greatest possible way of getting in touch getting in touch with us probably through the links that you'll have James there through LinkedIn that we'll have created Um, Mm. and also saying you know this is a living and breathing story and we do invite anyone into this story because it's not ours to 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 hold on to it is ours to tell it is ours to translate to communicate but it really is opening it up and saying you know you never know what happens when you open up connections and the connections that you have and that go on and on and on and where it travels to. And ultimately, it's for the greater good. And, um, you know, this is why we speak to you today, really, uh, in spreading the word so that we do influence change for children before 2030 comes and far, far mm. beyond. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. Well, I just, and I feel like we could continue to talk for a very long time about all these different things. Uh, and and you, you really have shared some amazing words with me um but due to our time constraints i thought this would be a really nice uh, moment to end things on and i'll definitely in the when i put everything out and share it share all the links and everything that you've you've sent me in materials um as well and uh, do you do you use like a youtube channel do you put up videos and of what you what you're up to or how what's the status because i've seen the the pdfs um but I guess you've got a com- communications plan shaping. What's the situation there? Yeah, we have um, we have we are currently front loading a lot of things, and it's interesting um, holding restraint and mm. seeing what happens when you have restraint, when you don't project things, when you make mm. sure the story is being true to its very core, um, mm. and that's something we're really adamant about not not filtering things out too early. Because what's our goal here? Our goal is to start small our goal is to influence change locally so um you know there, there will be things that we're going to be front loading um over the next few weeks and few months um, 
but initially we're keeping the identity very clear and strong before we before we move out. And I think we owe it to the people here in the community, educators mm. and the families um, that we are committed to. Um, mm. So there will be a time, yes. Yeah. Not too far away. Just also speaking speaking to that, um, I really, and I think Pete, I can speak for both of us, um, it's one thing to put information out to the masses, um, mm. but I really invite any 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 person out there that are seeking true knowledge and um, application of knowledge to reach out specifically with what you need to understand or um, help with and we would love to respond to that directly because that's also interesting um, if you're self-directing your inquiry it's it's much more um, beneficial for your own growth and for where you're going to apply it than just to consume whatever is put out there. Um, yeah, so we're truly open and happy to, to share what we're doing. Um, it's an open invitation, even for, for you to come have Tempeh once you're back. Visiting <laughs> Bali. I'm, I'm definitely, definitely going to be back. I'll be taking you up on that offer. Hopefully I can share some skills of mine when I next come. And maybe I'll see some manta rays as well this time. And, and hopefully there's not 1,000 people out there listening who decide to descend upon your small little community. <laughs> yeah, well, there's some interesting dogs around, so I think um, <laughs> we're well protected. <laughs> but, um, but it's been really nice to chat, and thank you both for taking the time to talk to me today and share everything, and for allowing me to try and get my perspective aligned to your way of thinking, because I'm definitely coming from a different point of view, for sure, starting point. You're welcome, James. Thank you so much for what you're doing and, and, and making this happen and continue, continuing the work that you do. So we appreciate your end too. Well, thank you very much. And I'll, um, when, when all this is wrapped up, probably next week, I'll, uh, I'll reach out and let you guys know what the plan is for me pushing out. And if there's any other like links or things that you could share with me, um, then always happy to put anything in the description and all the rest of the bio. Um, but I guess I also guess it's getting quite late for you both. I don't know if you've got classes tomorrow morning. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about nice that part. It's now what ten quarter past eleven. So uh, I think this has been a very very good run. And um, and yeah, we can keep in touch over email, and I'll I'll keep you posted. For sure, awesome. Thanks so much, James. All right, have a great evening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the STG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow STG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of STG Talks is to bring you value. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on STG Talks.